0: Well, welcome and thank you for listening to the teaching from Ethan Callison. It has been quite some time since my last message, almost two entire months. And for those of you that are subscribers and regular listenings uh, are listening near this release date, I'm so sorry that it's been so long, but thank you for listening. If you're listening on a binge and this message is followed up by many more, then just keep on listening. Today, we're going to look at the family of God in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 16. This message is a standalone message taught here at Fellowship Community Church North Campus. And if this message makes an impact in your life, we would love for you to let us know by rating and reviewing this podcast and to share on social media with your friends and family. Well, without further ado, here is Ethan and the family of God. Well, good morning. Glad to have you worshiping with us here at North Campus this morning. Crossroads family, we're so thankful to have you here. And we're looking forward to what God's going to do, not just today, but in the weeks and months. And thanks, Mom. Mom. This is my mom, everyone. And uh, she's bringing me some water because I'm, I'm getting a little hoarse from singing this morning. But anyway, um, yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. I can blame you. I can blame that one. <laughs> and um, so anyway, my mom is here and my mom and my, usually my dad come down every time I teach, but my dad's out hunting. He's slaying some deer right now. So i mean, he's just kidding. But uh, my dad, I don't know if, if you like a dad or your dad has little quips that they would say or I call them dadisms or dad axioms. And some of the things that my dad says used to say to me, and he still says today, is that um, a man is only as good as his word. He would say that, Ethan, your reputation precedes you. And, uh, and one of the things that he would jokingly say to people oftentimes when uh, he's meeting a friend that's acquainting him with another friend is he would tell me, he'd say, man, you can, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. So why did you pick them as a friend? Like he would say that jokingly. And so this morning, I want us to look at the family of God. Uh, because in this, we have two congregations that are becoming one. And I want to look at what is the family of God? What does it look like to be in the family of God? Because we can pick our friends, but we're bought by the blood of Jesus, and he now makes us one. So in this, if you have a copy of the scriptures, and want to open up to Galatians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, I'll just admit to you, Galatians is always a hard book of the Bible for me to find in the New Testament. So I want to give you an acronym to help you find it if you're like me and struggle finding this. It's this. God is eats potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, Colossians. And see, I almost forgot it there. And, uh, and in this, uh, Galatians comes after First and Second Corinthians, so it just helps me. I always want to put Galatians at the end of the other. So anyway, Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 7 through 16 this morning. And as we dive into this passage, we're really diving into the middle of a story. So we have to understand the story that's going on uh, for us to understand this text. How many of you really like movies? How many of you like the movie Inception or have ever seen the movie Inception? You got a few hands. Cool, cool. The movie Inception, the premise of it is it's a dream within a dream within a dream. And this text here in Galatians is a story within a story within a story. Uh, and the first story that we see, we have to understand these. The first story is the writing. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, oftentimes we, we think or we can see who the church that Paul is writing to based upon the city that he writes it to. Well, Galatia is not a city. Galatia is an area, a region, a land mass. Think more like a country. So Paul is writing to this country of Galatia and all the churches that inhabit it within that country. So that's the first story. The second story, of the writings and then the references. Paul is referring to a text that we see in Acts chapter 15 in a thing that's called the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council, what it was is the apostles and some of the ministry leaders or the church pastors of the day, the hierarchy, I guess you would say, the church comes down to Jerusalem because they have some decisions that they need to make about the gospel and the fathering of the church in the first century. So there's the reference to the Jerusalem, cha- the Jerusalem Council. And then thirdly, there's the recounting. Paul here is going to recount a, at the Jerusalem he had an, a confrontation that he had with the apostle Peter. At the Jerusalem Council, the number one item on the agenda was this Does a Gentile have to become a Jew before becoming a follower of Jesus? Peter said, No, they don't. They can just become a follower of Jesus. Then Peter lives out, as we're going to see in this text, where he recounted that and went back on it. So, Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 16 this morning. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me to mine, to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, Cephas here is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of the fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, or Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came, to, came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when, he came, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. If you want to, uh, if, you, if you've been with us, you can go to FCC Life and pull up some sermon notes. If you're unfamiliar with this, you can just go to our website, FCCLife.org, click on the menu, uh, Online Church, and then sermon notes, and you're going to pull up some digital notes so you can take it as our pastors teach for the Crossroads family here, first-time guests. So the first thing I want you to see in this text is that the family of God is open to everyone. Every single person on this earth, the family of God is open to. Paul Paul writes this in the the second half of verse 7. He says that Peter, he's the influencer to the Jews. He's the one that the Jews are going to come to saving faith in Jesus through. He says in verse 7, Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. We see that Jesus actually called to Peter and said, Peter, you're going to have the keys to the kingdom to opening up to the Jews that they would come into relationship with Jesus. And Paul says that Peter was to the, genti- or to the, unc- to the circumcised to the Jews. I, Paul, am to the, be the influencer to the Gentiles. The first half of verse 7. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. In this short verse, Paul is saying, Peter was to the Jews and I to the Gentiles. All are coming to desire to come into a relationship with Jesus. And then he continues in verse 8. I love verse 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. You see, Paul was under some. Some uh, persecution, kind of in, in this. Uh, we read later that that said that some came to Galatia, supposedly sent by James. James is the half brother Jesus, who is the you know kind of the lead elder of the church in Jerusalem. But Paul actually believes, and some of the the most scholars today believe that the men sent, presumably by James, were not actually sent by James, but they were legalistic Jews that wanted everybody to become a Jew first, wanting to revert the decision that the Jerusalem council had made. And so Paul here is saying, uh, I love David, David Campbell in his quote. He says that Paul says this, this verse seven, because the people who are causing issues in Galatia are saying that Paul wasn't an apostle and that Paul was actually a false teacher because he was not remaining true to the law. And Paul says the law has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Therefore, all can come to the cross. The person of Jesus, and I love this. As Paul continues, he says that he was given the, the permission, for lack of a better terms, he's given the permission by the uh, by the church leaders in Jerusalem to go to the Gentiles. Except they were given one contingency. It wasn't how to preach. It wasn't that Paul had to do this, this, and this. When it comes into his methodology, we understand in how Paul would plant churches. He would first go to the synagogues, to the Jewish men and women would preach and proclaim the gospel, and oftentimes he was ran out of the synagogues. He would then go to the local churches. If there were any local believers there, he would go and teach and pour into them and proclaim the gospel. And from then he always went to the marketplace. But the men from Jerusalem didn't say, Paul, you've got to change your methodology up in this. No, they said this in verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That's the only thing they said of Paul to do. Go to the poor. I love Warren Wearsby. He's been known as the pastor to pastors. He says this Too often, our church meetings discuss problems, but they fail to result in practical help for the needy world. God calls us to give practical help for the needy world. Every single one of us. We have something. We've been given something. We've got to steward that something so that we can help the needy world. So the first thing we see is that the, the family of God is open to everyone. The second thing we see is the family loves each other as family. The, the first thing we see is the love for the eternal, those that are already part of the family. It's easy to love people when you agree with them, right? It's easy to get along with people when you already get along with them. But Paul even says that we're to love them when when they go wayward. When they're the black sheep of the family. When it's that wayward brother or cousin or aunt or whoever it is in the family. We're to love that wayward individual. Ask them and call them back to the person of Jesus. Let's read verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. You see, Peter struggled with understanding how a Gentile could be converted into loving Jesus. Peter believed that since he came from the nation of Israel, he was God's chosen race, he was God's chosen people, how could God choose someone who's outside of his chosen race? To love him, to pursue him, to obey him. He really wrestled with this. Then we see this this beautiful vision that God gave Peter in Acts chapter 10, where he says, he lays before Peter the sheet. And on this sheet was all this food. And Peter saw the food, and he as a Jew knew that he could not consume or partake of that food at all. He looked at God and said, God, I won't eat. And God said, no, Peter, what was once unclean, I have now made clean. He's telling Peter, you do not have to obey the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now all can come to me. Peter says this in Acts chapter 10 verse 28 as he recounts to others his vision he said to them you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another race but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter had received this revelation. He'd received it. He's beginning to understand it and then he makes the next step and vocally proclaims this vision to others. And then ultimately at the Jerusalem council, we see there's this Jerusalem council I talked to you about a little bit earlier where all these men came together to debate, to talk about. The number one item on the agenda was the Mosaic law. Does a person, an uncircumcised individual, have to be circumcised and obey the law before following after Jesus? They had invited, the, the Jerusalem council had invited Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas were the main ones preaching and proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles to come and give a testimony or give an account of what God was doing and was God really converting, was he really changing lives, was people, were people really pursuing after the person of Jesus in this? So Paul and Barnabas come and they give their testimony and their account and say God is at work in these people's lives and lives are being changed and transformed. And then Peter stands up in Acts chapter 15, verses seven and 11, and he says this. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. I don't know if you heard any similarities between what Paul was preaching to the church, to the Jerusalem council, and what Paul, excuse me, what Peter was proclaiming to the Jerusalem Council and what Paul said to Peter. I don't, I, don't see if you, I don't know if you caught the connection there, but Paul is preaching into Peter's life that which he spoke at the Jerusalem Council. And in this, Peter, he ends up eating with the disciples, or with the with the Gentiles. He ends up eating and loving and, and discipling them and pouring into their lives. And in this, Warren Wearsby says that to eat with the Gentiles meant to accept them. To put Jews and Gentiles on the same level as one family in Christ. And then what happened? Peter was mingling with the Gentiles. And then in came these legalistic Judaizers. And Paul, Peter begins backing away. We don't, we don't quite get this in the sentence structure in the, in the translation from the Greek to the English. But in this, uh, how we would be read in the Greek was that Peter was repetitively eating with the Gentiles. It wasn't just a one-time meal. He was eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner and hanging around them all the time, pouring into them, really doing life with them. And then it reads that he didn't just abruptly stop eating once the, the legalistic Judaizers came, but it's as if he slowly faded out. He slowly faded, stopped loving them. It was kind of like this. Hey, guys, I already have dinner with someone else, so thanks for breakfast and lunch today, but I already have tomorrow for lunch, okay? And then tomorrow comes, and, oh man, you know what? I already got lunch and dinner with someone else. So thanks for breakfast this morning, but I, I, I'm busy the rest of the day. And Peter slowly stepped away from the disciples, from the Gentiles. We slowly step away from loving people. Peter had experienced what the freedom that it is in Christ to love people that are different than you. He had. And then here, Warren Rearsby says that Peter's freedom was threatened by Peter's fear. Peter feared that his buddies, the Jewish men, were going to reject him as one of their own that the Judaizers were going to cast him out because Peter was a people pleaser. I love this. Even in in Galatians chapter two early here, Paul says that I am not proclaiming the gospel to tickle men's ears pretty much. I'm here to proclaim the gospel because that's what God has called me to do. It's not to please people. Peter fell into the trap of pleasing people and kind of cutting corners a little bit and he found himself in this trap and in this hole. So the question that I, I would love to ask you What do you fear in loving people not like you? What do you fear in loving people that don't have the same skin tone, the same income, the same job, the same region of area that you live in? What do you fear in loving people not like you? Paul here calls Peter a hypocrite. He says in in verse 13a, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Him is the Peter. Hypocritically means to dissembled in this passage, which means that Peter tried to hide his true self, to hide his true image behind the gospel. What that meant is he put a smokescreen of the gospel up and said, I'm actually doing this because of the gospel. It's kind of like this with all the racial injustice that's kind of going on in America. I've seen this happen with a lot of people we like to post on social media about how I'm for this and I'm against this and all this. And there needs to be all this, this unrest come to rest. And we're like putting out this smoke screen of something on social media. But no internal change ever occurs. And we don't break bread with people who don't look like us. We walk away from, we go down another aisle, we differ. We don't want to associate with people who don't look like us, don't have the same job, don't have the same income. Whatever it is, it doesn't just have to be skin tone we veer away from those people. What do you fear in loving people that don't look like you? Do you live out what you believe? You see, Peter had made a public statement. He even went further than posting on social media about what he now believes that you don't have to before becoming a follower of Christ. He went to the church and made as a denomination a statement. That I am denouncing this. And then yet his acts spoke louder than his words when he did not live them out. You see, when you lack to love someone, when you lack to break down the barriers, and when you fall short, others, they go with you. Others are going with you. It says Peter's fall calls others to fall with him. In verse 13, it says that Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. If you don't know who Barnabas is, it would be really easy for you to believe that he was an immature, young follower of Jesus, but let me tell you who Barnabas is. Barnabas is the man who, when Paul was converted from the person of Saul, that spent almost a decade discipling Paul. He was the person who took Paul on his first missionary journey to help plant churches. Barnabas was the man who was, a staple of the faith to both Paul and Timothy. Barnabas was a fully devoted follower of Jesus, but it says here that Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus or away from him, not necessarily by your words, but by your actions. What you truly believe comes out in how you act and how you treat people and how you walk the walk. You see, what if, what if Paul here had have fallen with Barnabas and the rest of them? What would have happened? Maybe the Jerusalem Council's decision that you don't have to become a Jew before becoming a follower of Jesus, maybe that would have been reversed. That every follower of Jesus first had to obey the Messianic law to then follow after Jesus and here in a week and a half we couldn't eat turkey because that is unlawful. That might be something we have to do. But Paul stood up. I love this in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he rebuked them. Brothers and sisters, when we are walking astray, when we are not walking in step with the gospel, may we love the family enough to guide them back to the truth of the gospel. May we always guide people back to the truth of the gospel. We have to realize that we have the opportunity and the ability to lead people to Jesus or away from him in all that we do and say. Back in August, I had the opportunity to lead and teach with Ari LaFoon, our uh, worship arts and the North Campus admin, through a series called Undivided. And undivided is we're divided amongst political lines, amongst poverty lines, amongst geographical lines. We're divided in all these things, but we as the church are to be undivided. We looked at racial reconciliation. We looked at what God was doing. And because of that, I've I've had many people that, because of that, some of the things that I've said before, people come to me and say, man, I'm all on board for this racial reconciliation. And I love it. I'm excited about it. But I want you to know that when we look at gospel-centered wise, when we look at addressing this, we have to lay aside our personal preferences. And we have to cling tight to this. This is the rock, the foundation that we stand on. We have to lay aside our personal preferences. One of the personal preferences we have to lay aside is our personal preference of worshiping. I'll never forget when uh, we were still all at home worshiping online and online only. My wife Katie and I were worshiping with FCC at the 11 o'clock hour, and then we put our little two and a half uh, girl to bed for a nap time, Genevieve. And then I hopped online and joined a church called Transformation Church down in uh, Indian Hills, South Carolina. It's a multi-ethnic church, and the pastor's name is Derwin Gray. And I remember hearing this song that was very familiar to my ears. And I'm sorry, your ears are probably going to bleed, but it goes like this. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. But I remember hearing those words, but then I heard the instruments behind the words. And I was like, this is weird. I heard the still drum, like a Jamaican reggae still drum. Everything about the worship set was staged to sound like a reggae worship service. And the Spirit convicted me because I was like, man, I can't worship this. I'll just wait till this is done, and then I'll come back to hear Pastor Derwin's preaching and teaching. It was like, Ethan, no, 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 no. You've got to learn to worship in a way that's unfamiliar and uncomfortable to you. If you truly desire to reach those people with the gospel, you've got to learn to love what they love. We've got to lay aside those preferences. Did you know that in... America, churches that consider themselves multi-ethnic, and that's kind of their mission and vision, over 90% of those churches, their lead pastor is Caucasian. Think of that. What is that saying? It's saying we want to be multi-ethnic, we desire to be multi-ethnic, but in order to do so, you, multi-ethnicities, must conform to look like us. Peter. Gentiles, I want to hang around you, but you must conform to me as a Jew and eat what I eat and worship the way that I worship and obey the law that I obey the law so that you can experience Jesus. It's far from the gospel. We've got to lay that aside. We've got to lay aside our cultural preferences as well. Some of the things that as I've been international and such, and maybe you have or just even here in the Roanoke Valley, um, one of the things we've got to lay aside is our, our language preferences. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear someone near me that's speaking a different language that I don't understand, I kind of get a little tense. I'm like, oh, I don't really know. I'm really in an uncomfortable position right now because I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're speaking. I can't understand. I can't communicate with them. I just get really tense. It's okay, Ethan. Or, or in this, the, the time. In America, like if you're five minutes late to a meeting with me, I'm going to first call you and make sure that you're okay and see where you're at, but after that like I'm probably going to go somewhere else because I I got things I got to do. I got a to-do list to accomplish, other people to meet with, and I don't have time for that. But in other cultures, people can be 3 hours late and everybody's perfectly fine with that. We've got to be okay with that. We've got to learn to love those who don't look like us or food I love, some, need some good food. You can tell. Thanksgiving's coming up, my boy going to town, all right? We've got to learn to enjoy foods that aren't American, that are authentic. We have some neighbors that are from India, and I love, I've been to, to Southeast Asia and Nepal three different times, and I love walking by their house and smelling the curry and smelling the oil. Like, it just has a scent that's like... If I close my eyes, like, I can feel Nepal around me, and I love it. We had, in in our life group, we we went through a sermon series last fall called Who's Your One, where every single body in the church said, hey, we're going to pick out one person that we desire to come into a relationship with Jesus. I mean, in our life group, we were talking about this, and an individual that was in our life group shared this story with us. He said that he was on on a golf course due to work. I'm like, how do you golf for work? But he worked for the state of Virginia, so that made more sense to me then. Just kidding. My dad's a state employee as well. And uh, he was golfing uh, with this guy who was unchurched, who lived in the same city as he did at the time. And so he was chatting with him, talking with him, and then he eventually said, hey, man, I'd love to have you come join my family and I to church. And this individual had to be a, a different ethnicity, a different background. And he said, man, I really appreciate the offer. I've had multiple people invite me to church, but why has no one ever invited me into their house? We should break bread with people who look different than us not just culture, not just skin tone wise, everything wise. We should break bread with them. We also must lay aside our political affiliation. You see, the lamb was died and he was sacrificed, not just for the elephants or the donkeys, but for both of them. We've got to lay that aside and cling tight to the person of Jesus and Jesus Alone. You see, my office is right across this wall right here in our student ministry room. And we have curtains up on the, on the windows so that our students aren't distracted. Well, I really like sunlight. So I'll, when I work, I'll tie the, the curtain up so that I can have some sunlight go in. Well, sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting there and I'll notice and I'll just look up and I'll watch people walk into Alejandro's. And I'll watch people walk into Little Caesars. And I'll watch people walk into Dollar Tree. And all the rest of the people shopping here in the shopping center. And I see how they truly reflect the demographics of North County Roanoke. And then I'll look in here. And I don't see that. It's nothing against y'all. Should be thankful that you're here. But we as the body of Christ should look like the body of Christ. Alejandro's, Little Caesars, Dollar Tree oftentimes looks more like the body of Christ than the church does. And that breaks my heart. There's 14 different nationalities that go to Burlington Elementary School. Just a wild guess, I bet we have less less than a third of that here. I don't have the solution for it, but I know that the gospel says that we've got to change something. We've got to be pursuing after something. So the, the family is open to everyone. The family loves the family as family. And if you're asking this question, I'd love to answer it for you. How do we become part of the family of God? How do we become part of that? Paul answers it in verses 15 through 16, if you have your copy of the scripture. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He first gives the answer that's not the right answer, not by works, not by the law. That's not how you enter into the family of God. You see in this text, Paul specifically referring to the Mosaic law, obeying the Old Testament, all the laws, all the commandments there, saying that that's not how you enter, how you earn salvation. In America, sometimes we would say works as being a good person, being a moral person. I got good morals about myself. That's not the answer to the gospel either. This past week on, on Monday, I had lunch with a gentleman, and um, he's about he's about my age. He's a little younger. Than me. He's twenty four years old, um, and he's been in, he had been incarcerated for over four years, and recently had gotten out. And he was sharing with me all of his drug addictions and all the issues that he has, kind of going on, and he was just revealing his brokenness as a human to me. And I told him, I said, "Well, man, like I, I know that you know that I'm a pastor, but I want your truthful answer. What are your spiritual beliefs?" And he said to me, he said, well, Ethan, I believe that there is a higher being. I believe that there is a higher power. I just don't know about the person of Jesus. And I said, well, let me ask you, what is it about Jesus that you're unsure about or don't know about or don't believe? And he said this, he said, I've done too much in my life for Jesus to have died for me. It's like, dude, you're missing the whole point. That's why Jesus died for you. It's because you're not good enough. Jesus gives the answer, Paul Paul writes the answer, that, that it's by faith and belief in Christ that we become part of the family. Through faith, in verse 16, through faith in Jesus Christ, in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Nothing you can do. No works, no good behavior, no morals, nothing you can do can get you into heaven, can get you into a right relationship to where you see the Father's faith every day when you wake up that you experience his goodness, you experience his love. There's nothing you can do. It's all based upon what Jesus has already done for you. And are you going to have faith to believe in it and to receive it from him? James Boyce, a a theologian, he writes this. I love this. As Paul preached it, salvation is never to be achieved by any amount of conformity to rules and regulations, even God-given regulations. Law condemns, consequently, if there is to be salvation for sinful men, it must come in another way entirely. God has offered this other way through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for sin. Now God offers righteousness freely to all who put their trust in Him. Brothers and sisters, men and women in this room, If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's nothing you can do to experience the love of Christ. There's nothing you can do to enter into heaven. There's nothing you can do to experience the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Believing and receiving and having faith in Him. I'd love to help you begin a relationship with Jesus today. Pastor Josh would love to help you begin a relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, Ethan, I already have a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I'm going to encourage you with. Peter, who was an apostle, followed alongside Jesus for years. He fumbled and he fell. He stumbled. He reverted back to his old ways. Ultimately, he was restored. He was picked up. How do we know this? Because we know that Peter was crucified upside down for his belief and faith in Jesus because of Paul's rebuke into his life, because Paul loved him so much, he said, Peter, you're falling short of Let's go back to the gospel. Let's go back to the atoning work of Jesus, what he did, the completion of his work on the cross. That's the truth. That's what we hold tight to. So if you think that you're stale, stagnant growing in your relationship with Jesus, or you think you're already there, discipleship is not an end game. It's a journey. We never stop growing in the image of Christ until the day that we draw our last breath or until Jesus returns. It's a lifelong process. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the brothers and sisters worshiping here this morning. Lord, I'm excited for what you're doing. Looking forward to how you're going to reveal yourself. Father, I pray right now that if there's someone in this room that is desiring to make a decision to believe and receive in you, Lord, that they would, uh, that they would do so. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic walk. There's no magic handmaids. There's nothing. It's just beginning a relationship with you, Jesus, and confessing our sins before you, repenting, turning away from sin, and turning towards you. Lord, I pray right now, if there's someone in this room, I would love to come alongside them. We would love to come alongside them in their relationship and help them grow to you. Lord, if that is someone in this room, would they just would you just raise your hand? If you're desiring to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand? I want to help you grow to love, to serve, to obey Jesus to fall madly in love with the person of Jesus. Just raise your hand. Father, I thank you that you restore us, that you redeem us, that as Peter fell, his life wasn't over. You brought him back. Lord, I pray that we would be a people pursuing him after your face, after you. Lord, I pray that this church, not even just in a year, but in three months, that we would look more like the demographics of the area surrounding us, because the gospel is to go to everyone. They do not have to conform to anyone or anything other than the person of Jesus. We thank you for this truth, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Family of God. If you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus, just simply text the word BEGIN, B-E-G-I-N, to 55444, and Ethan would love to come alongside you and help you in your relationship with Jesus. Ethan's next teaching will be on Sunday, November 29th, as Ethan co-teaches with Dr. Chad Wills, and they will be looking at adjustments to parenting in a pandemic. And if you would like to automatically get this without having to worry about remembering when his next teachings will be, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button. And once again, if this podcast makes a difference and impact in your life, we would love to know so by leaving a rating and review on the platform that you listen to. And we hope to see you soon here at Fellowship Community Church.